Well, good morning to you. I'm not sure I introduced myself. My name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here, and I uh, just want to say thanks again for coming. Um, if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, we'll start looking at verse 32 here in a moment. And uh, anyway, let me kind of set this up. Last week, we saw Saul's conversion. Saul, Saul, that's right. We, said, we looked at Saul's conversion in Acts, and um, this week what we're going to do is we kind of, it breaks from Saul, the text does, and kind of shows us what's been going on or what's happening uh, through uh, Peter's ministry. And so we're going to look at, uh, we're going to catch up a little bit on Peter's work, and uh, I just, I, I know you're still kind of shuffling, but I, I want you to hear me just for a second. I, I need you to really lean into today's message um, I, I think that it may challenge us a bit. I think that there's some things in here that um, that God wants to teach us through what happened with Peter that uh, challenge the way we live, challenge the way we think, challenge the way we do ministry, and, and so as as individuals and and sometimes as churches. And so uh, I really challenge you to kind of look into this or to lean into it to see what the Lord may tell you today. How he may encourage you and strengthen you, but also reprove a little bit and correct a little bit. Remember, God's word is sufficient for training in all of righteousness. Amen? That it may reprove, it may correct, but it teaches and it helps us and it trains us in all righteousness. So it's sufficient for that. All right? So let me pray for the word specifically and then we'll get rolling this morning. Heavenly Father, again, we come to You, and this time, Father, we want to talk about Your Word. God, we ask now that You would open our hearts and minds to hear Your Word. Father, that we, uh, we say hearts and minds hearing because we don't want to just hear with our ears. We want to hear with our hearts and minds in such a way that we become doers of Your Word. And so, Father, we ask now that Your Spirit would make Your Word fruitful in our lives, that our hearts and minds would be the good soil, the soil in which your word is planted and takes root and bears fruit. Uh, we need your help for this. We understand that we come to your word as foolish people, ignorant people, and it's best to have you as our counselor in this time. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, what I want to talk to you about is how the mission of Christ is to take the message of Christ to all people. All right, and so we're going to look from Acts chapter 9, verse 32 into 11, verse 18. I know that's a lot, but, but we've got to do this. We, we have to have this happen. So let me introduce you to a guy named Peter, which some of you are probably already familiar with because of Acts, and let's just see what he's been doing. So we're going to start in verse 32 and read through uh, the end of chapter 9 here. It says, as Peter was traveling from place to place, he also came down to the saints who lived in uh, Lydda or Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon or Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas, maybe Dorcis. I don't know. Dorcas is a terrible name for your daughter. Don't do that. 
she was always doing good works and acts of charity. About that time, she became sick and died. After washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs. Since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him who urged him, don't delay in coming with us. Peter got up and went with them. When he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs. And all the, window, I'm sorry, all the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that poor Dorcas had, been, had made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, and, um, sorry, and turning toward the body said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her stand up. He called the saints and widows and presented her alive. This became known throughout Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Peter stayed for some time in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. So what we see here in these verses is Peter's continuing to do ministry among the Jews. He's still doing what the Lord had told him to do. He's just ministering from town to town, from town to town, and, and he's teaching about the Lord. They're performing miracles, but as always, the miracles are meant to point to Jesus, the one who is Lord over all these things. And so uh, in the, the healing of Aeneas, we see the power of Christ over sickness. In the healing of um, Tabitha, we see the power of Christ over death. We see that Christ is powerful both over sickness and over death. Both of these incidents lead to the message of the gospel being proclaimed and spreading in those towns among the Jews. And then we read this interesting thing that says Peter stays in Joppa with a tanner. And I think the with a tanner part is kind of interesting because of what we're about to read about Peter. I mean, you know what a tanner is, right? He's a, he's a guy who takes the hides of animals and tans them and turns them into clothing or rugs or blankets or, you know, just kind of whatever you may need. Now, this would have been among the Jews, I think, probably considered a bit taboo because you're taking unclean animals and you're dealing with their hides. And so this was kind of the beginning of something interesting. Let's read about the next character in our story today. There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. Now let me tell you a little bit about Caesarea. Caesarea is the capital of the Roman occupation of Israel. It's about 31 miles north of Joppa. It's a military town and the Jews would have hated Caesarea. They, they would have hated this outpost of, of the Roman military. Cornelius is a centurion in the Roman army. It, he would have been very wealthy, he would have been very powerful. He would have probably been hated by most of the Jews if it weren't for the devout man that he was and the good deeds that he was doing among the Jews. We read that he was a devout, kind of God-fearing man who did charitable things for the Jews. So probably mostly Jews hated him, but there would have been some who, who may not have. And he was trying, right? I mean, he's, he's trying to do what he knows is right. He's trying to... To, to, to perform the acts of a religious man, of a man of faith. But because he was a Gentile and because he's relying on his own works, he wasn't in the family of faith. We don't want to get this mixed up. He's not, he's not a saved man yet. He's not a Christian, right? He's, just, he's, he's a Jew at this point. A, a wannabe Jew, I should say. 
both Peter and Cornelius would have been very content to just remain anonymous from one another. It wouldn't have bothered them a bit to continue their lives the way they were, but God had other plans. Now the thing about God's other plans is these plans weren't just for those two and kind of an immediate work there. These were plans which would start with them, but would transcend to the whole world. They would be meant for the whole world. It would open up a whole new thing of ministry. Let's look. Chapter 10, verses 3 through 16. We're going to see two different visions here. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw a vision, in a vision, an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. Staring at him in awe, he said, What is it, Lord? The angel told him, Your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, uh, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now let's look at 9 through 16 here. The next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. He became hungry and wanted to eat, but while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. And a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times, and suddenly object, the object was taken up into heaven. Peter has a knack for needing to hear things three times, doesn't he? Now, I want to mention just real briefly, as kind of a side note, a quick word about dreams and visions. There may be some kind of a lack of clarity around dreams and visions, but uh, I dealt we dealt with in Brazil uh, this quite a bit. There were a lot of these um, false teachers, um, pastors, who would use dreams and visions as a way to coerce the crowd, as a way to, to gain the crowd's loyalty, right? As a way to, and sometimes it was for that. Sometimes it was to tell them, here's what the Lord is telling me that you should be doing. And if you won't do that, the Lord's going to put a curse on you and your family. Stuff like that. Now, this happens in America, too, um, in different kinds of ways, but typically you'll hear a, a pastor say something really vague or something really pointed, and if you don't do that thing, well, then you kind of come under church discipline or something. Um, so, but, but what I want you to know about the vague dreams and about the dreams at all is um, there is a way that we can know if these are from God. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn over to Deuteronomy 18 real quick. 21 through 22. Here we have uh, in Deuteronomy, they're dealing with the differences between occult practices versus prophetic revelation. And this is a, 
I know it's Old Testament, but this is a principle which applies to all prophetic visions, all prophetic words. Uh, And this is a way in which you can judge whether or not someone who claims to have a word from the Lord or a vision from the Lord or any of that is telling the truth or not. Okay? In verse 21, he says, You may say to yourself, how can we recognize a message the Lord has not spoken? So sometimes there's a, a, a question as to whether or not what is being said is from the Lord or not. He says, when a prophet speaks in the Lord's name and the message does not come true or is not fulfilled, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. So, we can know that a prophet is true, that a vision is true, that a dream is true, if it comes true or not. right? If it happens or not. So a vague prophecy, a vague dream, a vague vision, a vague word from God about you know, new waves and old waves and things happening and nobody really knows what it means, not even the person saying it knows what he means, is a fraud. You're, you're a liar if you're doing that. Because what you're doing is you're, you're mixing up things and you're saying things without any biblical warrant to that. So, how do we know? Because there's not a time stamp on it. There's not a direct word being given. There's not something, there's no way to check it to see if it's true or not. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's no specific time, there's no specific place announced, there's no specificity to it at all. It's just vague. And so, if someone's doing that, this is what it says. But the prophet who presumes to speak a message in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet must die. In the Old Testament, they stoned prophets for doing this. Now, I'm not advocating for stoning. I'm just advocating for ignoring the person. Just saying, to heck with that. It's not from the Lord. The other thing I would add, prophecy and all of that had a much more... There was much more need for it because they did not have the Word of God yet. But when the Word comes, we have everything we need. Remember 2 Timothy 3.17. What does it say? The Word is sufficient. If this Word is not sufficient and you must have a new Word or a new revelation or any of that, then God is a liar. I'm not prepared to call God a liar. I hope that you're not prepared to call God a liar. So if a guy stands up and says something and and it goes with God's Word, well then we can trust that what he says is true. But there may not have been the need to say, I have this special revelation from God if it's what the Word of God already says. Somebody else had that special revelation first. You understand what I'm saying? So we want to be careful of this. But what happens here in Acts is... A door is being opened between two people groups that think they have nothing in common. The gospel is doing something. God is doing something through the gospel. And he wants to open up this this new door, which is going to be really good for me and you as essentially Gentiles. We're not Jews. This is opening up a new way. So what we see is that their visions were very, very specific. We see that they came to pass. We See that it's important to note that Cornelius uh, was a religious man, yes, but he wasn't a saved man, so there was a reason behind the vision. His 
The vision doesn't save him either. The vision is to get Peter into his home. It's to get Peter to come see him. He needed to what? To hear the Gospel. If the Gospel is not proclaimed, he can't believe. This is what Romans 10 tells us. How will they believe if they do not hear? How beautiful are the feet of those who are adorned with the Gospel and are taking the Gospel to places so that people can hear the Gospel and believe. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So this is what we're seeing here. We're seeing all of this happen right here. God may use dreams. He may use visions to prepare people but Christ's people must always be the ones to proclaim the gospel to someone. So an illustration of this is I was watching um, David Platt. I don't know how many of you are familiar with David Platt. He's um, just a kind of a, a, he's a dude, right? I mean, he's, he's just a dude in the Christian faith, and he's got a heart for missions like maybe no one else I've ever heard. And so, um, but Platt wrote this book recently called Something Needs to Change, and he was hosting this kind of live event to, to, to talk a little bit about the book, but more to talk about the needs around the world. And, and so he had some interviews with people all around the world who were preaching the gospel and doing things in, in the world. And one of the things that, one of the stories of, of this guy that he interviewed, he said, hey, I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to call this guy in Iran, and we're not, I can't tell you where he's at in Iran. I can't use his real name, and we're going to change his voice because the guy could most assuredly die in Iran. Uh, for, for preaching the gospel. And so he gets this guy on the phone and the guy's just telling him, he said, he said I've got to tell you about this thing that happened recently. He said, I met this guy and, and I, I began to preach the gospel to him. He said, I was preaching from John and the guy just was dumbfounded all of a sudden. He told me, he said, for the last, I think it was seven nights, he said, a guy has visited my home like, like an angel, he said. He said, I can't explain. He, he used the word angel, but he said, I just don't know what else to say. He's, he would visit my home and he, he would teach me one of the seven I am statements from the book of John. And I had no idea where it was coming from. I had no idea what he was saying. I was just seeing this thing in front of me and then he would just disappear. And now here you are telling me the same things that he told me from the Bible and I believe. Now isn't that amazing? But it had a specific purpose. It had a specific time. It was a specific dream that was to be fulfilled in God's time. That's what I want you to understand about dreams and visions and words, quote-unquote, from God. We need to be very, very careful of that. Very careful. This is one reason I'm leery of a book, Jesus Calling. I don't know how many of you may know that. But, but Sarah Young claims to have special revelation from the Lord, and she writes these things down to encourage people. You have to be very careful with stuff like that. I've not read it myself. I, I, I've looked into some of it, but I, we, we don't use it in our home for this purpose. And I don't ever recommend it to somebody. There's better devotionals out there, right? And so these are the kind of things we want to be aware of. Sorry, spent more time on that than I intended to. Another thing I would add, any questions, any pushback on that, I'm here, all right? I, I would gladly sit down and talk with you about those things. Like, I, I, I don't want to debate you. I don't want to argue with you. But I would gladly have a conversation around those things if you have further questions about what I think or what I believe the Bible says on that. All right, so uh, let's look at now the fruition of the visions. Let's see how they come to pass in verses uh, 17 through 33. It says, while Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen meant, 
Right away, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, Three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. Wow. Then Peter went down to the men and said, Here I am, the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're here? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation, was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and set out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. The following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So he's got a crowd there. He's like, man, this guy's coming. We've got to hear what he has to say. This is going to be all that we've been waiting for. It says, When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up, I myself, I myself am also a man. While talking with him, he went in and found a large gathering of people. Peter said to them, You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, Four days ago at this hour at three in the afternoon I was praying in my house. Just then a man in dazzling clothing stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here. He's also named Peter. He's lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. So immediately I sent for you. And it was good of you to come. So now we are all in the presence of God to hear everything you have been commanded by the Lord. So because of the dream, Peter is hospitable, right? He, he welcomes these men to, to his where he's staying first, gives them lodging, puts them up. He, he understands that I've got to go with them, that, that I need to just trust the Lord in this. And then as he goes, Cornelius is hospitable. Even so, uh, to, to kneeling before him, they kind of retell their visions to one another together what they see is that God has arranged the meeting. God's brought them together. And so here we see, I think, three ways, and you can write these down if you want, but I think it's three ways to display for all people love. Like here's three ways we can love all people, especially those who are not like us. One is don't hesitate to befriend people unlike you. As we see with Peter and Cornelius here, they don't hesitate to befriend people because in the same way that Peter has the word of God that we should not call any that he should not call any animal which God has called clean unclean we too have that word now don't we we too have this same command don't look at people and say they're unclean they're not fit for my presence they're not fit for my friendship praise God he didn't do that with us when he sent his son Jesus the second thing we see is we show hospitality to all we can open our homes and our lives You've seen one way this morning you can do that, through the call. There are other ways you can do that, by inviting people from work, or from this church, or from your home group, or from Celebrate Recovery, or um, people who you think need encouragement, need church family, need to hear the gospel, need to see the gospel at work in your family and in your life, you can invite them into your home. The third thing would be show humility before all people. 
I love the way Cornelius kneels because what he sees in his respect is this, this is a man of God. But I love Peter's response. Hold up, brother. I'm a man just like you are. And, and so what we see here is, a, is the Imago Dei, what we call the Imago Dei. It's Genesis 1.27, which says that God created mankind in His own image. Male and female, He created them. And He did this to glorify His name. And so we understand that the Imago Dei now informs the way we live, that all people are worthy of respect because they're humans created in the image of God. Let's look at what Peter says. 34-43, through he says, Peter began to speak now... I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. You can tell Peter's like having this just this revelation moment, right? He didn't quite understand the dream. He just knew, I'm supposed to go with these people, and now I've shown up, and, and the Spirit's just kind of hitting him in the moment, right? Like he's, he's all of a sudden understanding. He's like, I, I, I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. It's not Jew, and then some Gentiles down here, it's neither Jew nor Gentile, right? I mean, you can see it in him. But in every nation, the person who fears him, does what it right, is acceptable to him. He says he sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He says, He is Lord of all. He says, You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning with, uh, from Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how He went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil, because God was with Him. We ourselves, he says, are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem, and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Now just to be clear, that was somewhere around the number 500. He's not just talking about the 11, he's or the 12, there's about 500 that we read later on who saw and ate with and were around the Lord after He rose. He said, he, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one appointed by God to be the, the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about Him that through His name, everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins. So Peter declares six things. He shows up on the scene and he says, number one, God is impartial. That, that no one's outside of the grace and the mercy, the work of God. Number two, he said God welcomes all who fear Him. That, in other words, what he's saying is God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. Right? God graciously pours out His love on the humble. Number three, we see that Jesus is the one who was sent by God, that He's the Lord of all. The fourth thing we see is that Jesus' earthly ministry is a confirmation that He's the one sent because of all that He did. All the miracles, all the works, His death, His resurrection, His life lived, all of those things are confirmation that He is God's Son. Five, we see the cross, the resurrection. The re uh, and, and then he, he alludes to the return of Jesus there in, in verse 44. In uh, verse 42, he says he's appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. That's going to happen when Christ returns. In 6, he's getting into this thing about 
You're, you're a student, Cornelius, of the law. You're a student of what the prophets have said. You're a student of, of, of this Old Testament that we have. Let me tell you that all these things point to, oh my gosh, look what's happening. And the Spirit just begins to fall in the middle of what He's saying. The Spirit descends. Let's look at verse 44 through 48. It says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and they asked Him to stay for a few days. So in the middle of Peter's message, the Spirit falls on the Gentile people, making, uh, sorry, marking kind of the beginning of a new chapter in the spread of salvation, namely the gospel to the ends of the earth. Remember, Judea, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to where? To the ends of the earth. We see the beginning of this in Cornelius' family and in his friends. And it's really like a mini Pentecost, isn't it? If you remember Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit falls, they begin to speak in tongues and proclaim the Word of God in tongues that were being, there were known languages being heard by the crowd. This is happening here. There's salvation, there's tongues, there's baptism. Now, is that significant, do you think? Yes. This is extremely significant. Is it always going to happen that way? No. I would venture to say it only happened that way this time. That it's because it had to be a mini Pentecost. It had to be this way for the Jews to believe that the work was real. We'll look more at that here in just a second. But let me read to you 1 Corinthians 14, 21 through 22, uh, just kind of that A part there. It says this it says, It is written in the law, and he just begins to quote Isaiah 28 here. He says, I will speak to this people by people of other tongues and by the lips of foreigners, and even then they will not listen to me. So this was, this was more of God's judgment from Isaiah, and he's foreshadowing that people will speak in tongues as a way, as a sign to you unbelieving Jews that I'm at work in my son. And then he goes on to say, speaking in other tongues then is intended as a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. So, tongues had to happen as a sign for the unbelieving Jews to believe that the work of God was happening among the Gentiles. That's what tongues were for. That's what's happening in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. This is what it's culminating in, that this was the purpose of tongues. And, and so he's using it as an opportunity or as a way, sorry, as a sign to show the Jews, listen, you, you don't believe that the work is for the Gentiles, but let me show you a foreign people speaking in other tongues so that you can believe that I'm moving there too. So tongues were a sign for the unbelieving Jews. Let's look. Verses, chapter 11, verses 1-18. through The apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God when Peter went up to Jerusalem. The circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. 
Peter began to explain to them step by step, right? He's like, I was in the town of Joppa. I was praying and I saw in a, in a trance this object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners from heaven. And it came to me when I looked closely and considered it. I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, the wild beasts, the reptiles, the birds of the sky. And then I also heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. He's like, and I did what you would tell me to do, Jews. I, I did exactly what I'm supposed to do. I said, no, Lord. <laughs> I said, for nothing impure or richly unclean has entered my mouth. But a voice answered from heaven a second time, what God has made clean you must not call impure. Now this happened three times. He's still telling them this. And everything was drawn up again into heaven. It just disappeared. He said, at that very moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to accompany them with no doubts at all. These six brothers also accompanied me. And we went into the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, send to Joppa and call for Simon, who was also named Peter. He will speak a message to you by which you and all your household will be saved. He says, as I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them and just as on us at the beginning. What's he talking about? Pentecost. Just like it happened to us at Pentecost, it happened to them. It had to happen that way for them to believe. He says, I remembered the word of the Lord in that moment, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He says, if then, he's still talking to these Jews, God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? Who was I to tell God, not among these people, they're unclean? Because what he's saying is, God told me they're clean. God did the work of Pentecost in this Gentile home to show me and to show all of you Jews they're clean. That what God has called clean, we can't call unclean. And this is magnificent. It's the only word that comes to mind. This is amazing that God is doing this work among people whom He never, never chose in the beginning. They weren't Israelites. They're not Jews. And though there's hints throughout the Old Testament of the Gentiles receiving the Lord, receiving salvation, being able to place their faith in God, it's official now. The same Holy Spirit that dwells inside the Jews dwells inside of Gentiles, dwells inside of you and I. It says, when they heard this, they became silent. And they glorified God saying, so then, God has given repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. Christ is for all people. Jews, the Jews were critical of this. Peter recalls Christ's words. He tells them that they've received the same gift. He's even been convinced of this, right? I mean, this is a life-changing thing for him. And the Jews are just in awe of what's happened. And the rest of Acts is the story of Jesus to all the people of the earth. To the ends of the earth. It's the story of that. And it's going to end on kind of a cliffhanger just to kind of spoil it for you. Because it's telling us that the mission is still Jesus to the ends of the earth. Now let me very... Good night. <laughs> let me very, very quickly give you kind of four takeaways from this message. Number one, the message of Christ is to take the message, sorry, the mission of Christ is to take the message of Christ to all people. First and foremost, that's what we need to hear. Now, how can you do that? Based on what we've seen today in the text, 
what would I say this means for us? What, what would God's Word say this means for us now as we're trying to follow the Lord? Number one, Jesus overcomes disease and death, therefore rely on Him. Rely on Him. We saw it in the healing of Ananias, or, or, sorry, Aeneas. We saw it in the, the resurrection of Tabitha. That God is powerful over disease and death. And so I, I just ask, do you need His strength in the midst of sickness? Do you, do you need His strength in the midst of grief or pain? Go to Him. Rely on Him. Look to Jesus, the One who is powerful over death and disease. And all of those healings, again, are meant to point to that new heaven and new earth. It's a way that Jesus is saying, look, I did defeat death, hell, and the grave. That sin no longer has dominion in your body or in your home or in your life. And so when you need me, understand that I'm powerful enough to help you overcome those things. Amen? The second thing we see is Jesus shows hospitality to all people. Therefore, imitate Him. Be like Jesus. Through the Lord's work, Peter and Cornelius powerfully demonstrate gospel hospitality. Their desire to follow the Lord when it challenged their social structure is what gospel hospitality is all about. It challenges our social structures. There may be a difference in and, and what we see here is there is. There's a difference in ethnicities. There's a difference in political views. There's a difference in beliefs. But those things were not more powerful than the gospel of Jesus Christ to save and to transform. Amen? The gospel gives us this level playing field. And no matter what our differences in life may be, we all come together under the banner that we're sinners in need of a Savior and only Christ is powerful enough to save and He does it for everyone who calls on His name. None of us are better than that. And so will you ask God to use you to reach a Cornelius? Will you ask God, what does it require of me to be able to do that? You may have to pray for God to cleanse you of sinful attitudes toward others. And I would pray, may the Lord cleanse each of us from any unrighteous thoughts or attitudes toward any person. Let's pray that God would use us to be the Good Samaritan for an ethnic outcast. To be the Jesus to a leper that no one wants to touch both figuratively and literally. And to be Peter for Cornelius whose political views and ethnicities were different than his, but whom God said he's not unclean. Third thing we see here is Jesus commands us to share the gospel with all people, therefore proclaim him. Some essentials to your message must be, number one, Jesus is Lord of all. Number two, Jesus was spirit-empowered to liberate Satan's captives. Number three, that Jesus liberated Satan's captives by dying under the curse which was deserved by those captives. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated His love for us and that while we were still sinners, He died for us. Number four, Jesus was raised and He reigns forever. Supreme over all, the world as His footstool, the throne in heaven on high, and nothing is going to dethrone Him. Amen? We have that power on our side. Six, we see there's forgiveness of sins for all who trust Jesus as their Savior. 
All who trust Jesus as their Savior can be forgiven of their sins, cleansed from unrighteousness, covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, saved forevermore. Amen? We believe this. We believe that this is true. If you're an unbeliever in here, I would ask that you would embrace Jesus today. If you're a believer in here, I would say, let's proclaim Him to all people. That we have to understand it's the only hope for salvation. The only hope for salvation is the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Romans 1.16, Paul writes there, the guy who was transformed on the Damascus road now writes in Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes it. Let's not be ashamed of that message. But let's show we're not ashamed of the message by speaking the message into the world. Let's not just be hearers, let's be doers also. The last thing I want to share with you is that Jesus saves the irreligious, saves irreligious and religious people. So worship Him. Listen, I don't know like, like what you were like pre-conversion. If you're a believer today, you should stand amazed at God's grace to you. Like whatever He's brought you out of, whatever He's currently bringing you through, stand amazed at His grace to save you. Maybe you were religious. Maybe you were irreligious. Maybe you were just kind of running from the Lord. Maybe you were kind of always seeking the Lord. But be in awe of His grace shown to you. Worship Him for it. Don't let that become dull in your hearts and minds. But this text also shows us that not only... Is God a God who saves? He's a God who sanctifies us. Like Peter was saved, but boy, did he need to be sanctified. He needed to understand there's this new thing happening that Christ is for all people. He had to have his worldviews challenged. He had to have his social structure changed. He had to understand that God is for the nations. And that God wants to use him to proclaim Christ to the nations. It's another reason to praise the Lord that He ain't finished with me yet. He's still working on me. Amen? My prayer for you is Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3.17-21. I just, you know, I just couldn't write anything more beautiful than Scripture. Imagine that. Ephesians 3.17-21, Paul writes, he says, I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning?